prepare the hearts of the people in this place and help them to hear your word and help them to hear from you. Um, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. The uh, nursery has workers. If you want to bump kids down to the nursery, this would be a good time to do it. Um, I have uh, a short announcement that I completely forgot. Um, if any of y'all have tried to catch me in the office for the last few weeks, um, we are in the process of painting and moving and shifting and adjusting, and we're going to have a, a second nursery room because there are lots of children running around and more on the way, uh, which is fantastic. Yay! Um, and and um, because of that, uh, my office space has become a huge clutter. There's stuff piled up, which is hard to tell the difference from normal, but it's not my comfortable clutter and pile. And so uh, my, my wife was wonderful enough to paint the office so that the carpet and the ceiling and the hallway and the kids didn't get painted too. Um, and, and so now we're going to be moving shelves in and I'm going to be moving junk out of my office and setting up shop in the new office space after like five months. I'm <laughs> terrible. Um, so in the next, I, I'll be settling back into regular office hours again. So if you've tried to catch me here during the week and I haven't been here, that's my excuse. Um, and uh, assuming everything goes according to plan, which it was supposed to be last week and nothing went according to plan, um, assuming everything goes according to plan, uh, I will be in the office Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday mornings, okay? And otherwise, my cell phone I answer all the time if you need anything. Got it? All right. Um, one of, one of the, I, I have this memory from when I was a kid, I was in elementary school. Um, I, I was young because I couldn't see over the seat, right? Like I was in the back seat of the car and I couldn't see over the seat. And I, I remember I was driving. We were in Texas and, and we're driving along and uh, my mom was driving and my dad was, I think, it's been a long time, um, but the car in front of us lost its wheel. Um, and I only know that because, because they, my parents said that. And the car went off the wheel and started to slide down the highway. And, I mean, you know, it's on the highway in Texas, so we're going like 200. Um, it's true. Um, and and I, I, you know, sparks and, and smoke and everything else, and this car goes sliding off the road. And my, my parents, I think it must have been my dad driving. My dad pulled off and threw the car in park and reached under and grabbed the fire extinguisher. And my mom said, well, do you think it's on fire? And my dad said, well, there's a lot of smoke. And, and he hops out of the car, and I unbuckled my seatbelt and tried to get out. And, <laughs> and my dad, before he's out of the car, stops and yells at me. He says, sit down. You know, you stay right there. And he went, and I think he put out a fire on the front of this car. So I don't know. I was a little kid. Um, and I, I remember as a little kid not quite understanding that. And then a, a few years ago, I was in Minnesota with a group of kids from um, the children's home. And, and these are, you know, like kids who are impatient for mental health, and a lot of them are violent, and a lot of them are aggressive, and a lot of them are, are very difficult. And our, our first night um, on a campsite, this is like my fifth year going, so I've been in this place a number of times, and I kind of knew better. But our first night, we had been driving, you know, all day from Indiana to northern Minnesota, almost Canada. We're all tired, and then we immediately got out and paddled half the day, and we set up camp, and we're all tired. And I looked at the other guys and I said, hey, let's not put up our bear bag. Let's just put the bear bag under the canoe and we'll pile the pots and pans up 
And if a bear shows up, he'll knock over the pots and pans and we'll know he's here. And I mainly said that because in the five years previous, every year I'd ever been there, none of our groups had ever seen a bear. And so we all go to sleep, and the sun's still up, but everybody's exhausted, and so we're sleeping. And I hear knocking around, and I start yelling, and I'm like, whoever's out of bed, get back in bed. You know, and then I hear some more knocking around, somebody's knocking over the canoe paddles. I hear it right next to my tent, and I'm, I'm livid at this point, right? Some of y'all have kids and know what it's like to be woken up when you should not be woken up. And I, I sat up, and there was this kid who was next to me, his name was Justin, right? And Justin was a, a gang member. He was in our drug treatment program, and and he was he was um, he was violent, and he was he was bad, right? And and he had told me a story earlier that day, which I'm not going to relate, but it's something that I remember frequently because it was such a scary story. Like I'm talking to this kid, and he's telling me this awful thing he did, and it's like, okay. <laughs> so I I get up and I am ready to tear up whatever kid is out there, and I zip open the camp, you know, the tent flap, and what's standing there? A bear. And the first thing I said was, you know, he's sitting there, we're both like, and I mean, I could have punched the bear from there. I thought about it, but I don't want to show off. I, <laughs> I said to him, I said, Justin, you stay right there. And I got up and I, and I chased the bear off, which I, I, <laughs> I think it's because I was in boxers and it saw me and it just instinctively like was blinded and it was better than mace. Um, <laughs> um, but the, the, this bear came back because apparently it had been raiding this campsite for quite some time. And it, it came back and it hung around and it kept circling our campsite and it wandered into our campsite. And so we got everybody up except for the one kid. Who, kid we had one kid who had to take sleeping medication, slept through the whole darn thing. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, like my wife. Anyway, um, <laughs> I love you, honey. Um, and, and we're throwing stuff at this bear, and, and the kids aren't taking it seriously, right? Because, I mean, it's a black bear, right? So it's not, it's a black bear. But, like, a black bear could, you know, could kill you, right? We're all clear on that. And, and there was one point where one of the adults who's also not taking it seriously steps within five feet of the bear and snaps a flash photo of it. And the bear stood up, and that was the end of us not taking the bear seriously, and I, I finally, finally the bear went away and everyone went to bed and I sat up all night, or not all night, but for another like four hours with another adult and we watched and we listened and we made sure, right? My, my kids had no business dealing with a bear, right? Um, my job in that setting was to, was to keep them safe, right? Um, and, and Justin, my, my scary gang kid, he, he joked about it later, like, oh, the bear didn't, uh, but he didn't get out of that tent. He might have been afraid of me, too. It's, you know. Um, we are going to be in the Gospel of John, so if you want to find John, there are Bibles in all the pews. If you've got one, I want to encourage you to bring them. I put them on the screen, but it, it's good to look at the words on the paper, right? It's a good habit to be in. It's good to do it at home. It's good to do it on your own. If you do not own a Bible, if you do not have one with you, they are in the pews. If, um, if you don't have one, if you find a paperback copy, there's one on the table in the back. Take a paperback copy. The only charge is that you read the book of James. Got it? Um, but um, we're going to be in the book of James, uh, John uh, today. And what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at this, this moment. Um, we're in the Passion Week, and Jesus is about to be arrested. Um, and and Jesus' first instinct 
in this moment of danger, right? Um, first is to obey the Father, right? And to do what's expected of him, do what his job is. And the second thing he does, and we're going to look at that in here, is he's going to protect his people, right? And actually, it's sort of interesting, and there's an important bit here. Now watch this. We're going to come back to it. Um, we skipped over like three chapters because we're going to be doing these three chapters on another week, right? Like after Easter, we would be, we wouldn't get to the crucifixion until like June. If we do it otherwise, then we can't do that. We have to like actually hit Easter on Easter. Um, or I've decided that's what we're going to do. But so Jesus has this long discourse with his people. Last week, we sort of finished up the Last Supper and Peter says, Oh, I would never deny you. I will, you know, I will die for you. And, He's like, would you really die for me? Really? Um, and, and so Peter talking big, right? And, and Jesus knows as big as he's talking, right? He's, he's like my gang kid in the tent that night. He talked big, but that bear showed up and he didn't want nothing to do with it, right? Um, and so Peter talks big and then Jesus says, you know what? You're going to deny me. That's coming. Um, if you're interested in hearing that sermon, it's online sermon.net slash patching cracks. It's in the bulletin if you don't remember it. Um, and there'll be CDs out in a week or so. Um, but in, in John 17, Jesus is praying. And 1712, he's, he's talking to God and he says, um, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, meaning Judas. He's talking about his disciples right now, right? that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you and these things which I speak in the world, that they must have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So like what Jesus is saying, he's like, listen, I am, I am leaving, Father. Like I'm coming to you, right? I'm about to die. It is coming. The moment is here. So, but my, my disciples, my followers, I've kept them. And I've kept them safe. And I've kept them exactly with me. And I've protected them. And this is my job. This is what the scripture said I would do. This is what the prophets predicted hundreds of years ago. And my disciples, I have kept them. I've loved them and I've kept them. And he showed how much he loved them by washing their feet you know, earlier in the meal, humiliating himself for him, like, which is sort of like, like the leader's role is to serve. And whoever's going to be great in the kingdom of God serves, right? Um, he goes on, he, he says several other things, and then in 17 he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And what he's saying is, listen, God, I'm sending these folks into the world, and I'm going to die for them, and they're going to be made consecrated. They're going to be made clean and whole and without sin and they're going to become like me in their lifetime and God help them like imitate me, right? Help them like go out and do the job that's in front of them. Now this is important. We're going to get to why it's important in a minute. Okay. Um, we're cause Jesus is, well, all right. Yeah, never mind. Sorry. We're just skip over the background. Um, Listen to the other sermons if you want to hear it or talk to me afterwards. John 18, one, when Jesus had spoken these words, meaning this big, long three chapter discourse, um, he went out with his disciples across the brook of Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now, this garden is not like, not like a flower garden, right? Like, this is a culture where people starve to death frequently, right? Um, and, and so, like, like, people had gardens, and gardens were functional. This was an olive grove. It was on the side of a mountain, making it, 
you know, like gardening in the southeast. Um, that's kind of true, isn't it? <laughs> um, and, and so he, he goes out. They go into this garden. It's this big walled-in area. They did not go to Bethany, which is where they had been going, because during the week of Passover, they had to stay in the city by law, right? And, and if they had gone to Bethany, if they had left, he wouldn't be there to be arrested. So they go to this garden, and they've been going to this garden regularly. We know that because uh, Judas knows where it is, right? And so they go there, and actually there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens there. John doesn't include it in his letter, right? And there's this cool thing that happens when you read the Gospels. These are four perspectives, right? And each author is presenting the story in order to make a point, right? John's point is all made in the discourse in the, at dinner, like this conversation they had at dinner. And so John doesn't talk about the disciples falling asleep while they're praying, or he doesn't talk about Jesus praying and being so afraid that he sweats blood, like that the blood vessels in his skin break and he bleeds from his skin. Like he, he is not coming into this um, without reservation. Everybody got that? And in fact, he says it at the Last Supper, but he says it again in the other Gospels we see where he says, God, if this cup can pass, if I cannot drink this cup of your wrath, like if this could not happen, I'm in. You know, but your will, not mine. Okay, so Jesus is there. He is, he's afraid, right? He's nervous. He knows what's coming. And um, so they're in the garden, and John skips over all of that stuff. And he says, now Judas, who had betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus had met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Judas knows where they're going, right? And now watch this. The language hides this because English is not Greek. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to pick this apart a little bit. Um, having procured a band of soldiers. Now, the phrase there, band of soldiers, it's easy to read that in English and assume it means like Jewish soldiers, right? Like because he, he takes the Pharisees and the chief priests, and it sort of, we discover a little later that it, it, he has a, a group of temple soldiers because the temple had guards, right? But they were a little like, like the Vatican has guards, right? I actually saw an article where ISIS said they were going to attack the Vatican, and the Vatican guard said, yeah, we'll, we'll take them, and they're like in armor with <laughs> spears and stuff. I mean, these guys are not like elite soldiers. Got it? Um, but the group of soldiers, the band of soldiers mentioned here, the way it's referred to is, is as a Roman group, right? And it's not clear how many it could have been. Um, it may have been as many as 200, right? I mean, it's, it's easy to think of it as like 40 guys showing up. It could have been as many as 200 soldiers, right? It was probably a few less than that because 200 is a lot of guys. But during the festival, they would have had an extra, like, detachment, like the reserves would have been brought into the city just in case there was a riot because it happened a lot, right? It was like St. Patrick's Day for them or something. I don't know. Um, but they, there were frequent riots, and they would use the, the soldiers to, like, knock down any kind of rebellion. And so, like, these soldiers are there. They're, they're Roman soldiers, so... Um, the thing that tells us, we learn there is, like, Pilate, right? Pilate's watching, right? Pilate's on the outside. He knows there's a lot of people there. He knows that this Jesus person's there, and a lot of people have talked about him. He knows that there's stirrings and politics going on. Pilate knows, and it's not like the Jews could just go and be like, hey, can we borrow a couple hundred soldiers, please? Right? I, you know, and a cup of sugar. 
It's it's not like that. He would have known, and he said, look, you know what? Let's make sure this doesn't get out of hand. How about if I... How about if I go ahead and send some soldiers along, right? So Pilate's got his fingers in this pot already. Now, the Jews hated the Romans, right? And the Pharisees hated the Sadducees. The Sadducees were like, I mean, you can almost think of like the right and the left wings of the church, right? You know, like, like you know, these are opposite ends. These guys hate each other. But they're working together with the other enemy, they're all working together um, because it's easy to do a wrong thing together, ain't it? <laughs> um, and so they go out to arrest him. There's, there's, you know, a couple hundred to three hundred guys there. Um, there are soldiers from the Roman army. There are um, temple, uh, um, um, temple police. There are chief priests and there are Pharisees. They've all come out there. And whereas in public, in daylight, when Jesus was teaching, they would try and call him out and he would make them look stupid, Right? He would talk, and they would be just like, oh, gosh, I, I can't even respond to this guy. You know, they can't debate him, and so they're going to beat him the only, you know, the old-fashioned way, right? They're going to meet him in the parking lot. And Ross isn't here, so I have to be careful. i got no one to protect me in the parking lot. Um, for those of you all who are new, when I say sexist things, Ross protects me. Um, except when his wife's offended, and then I'm out of luck. Um, the other thing is they're carrying lanterns and torches because it's night, and this would be like night out in the country. It's pitch black. But they probably expected him to run, right? I mean, if you went to the side of a mountain with like 300 guys, you wouldn't need 300 guys to arrest one guy, right? They came out with lights and everything else because they're going to chase him, right? It's, it's going to be like that scene in Cops with the, you know, those scenes in Cops with the helicopter and the lights and the, and the searching. They're going to hunt for him, and that's what they expect, right? They expect he's going to run. So they are there. They're loaded for bear, um, um, and not black bear. Um, they're loaded for grizzly. They are ready for a fight. Um, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, who do you speak? Now, came forward, actually the way it's phrased is funny here. He literally walked out of the garden and met him at the door. He said, oh, they're coming. Let's, let's do this. And he came and he stood there, sweating blood five minutes before, right? By the way, Real courage, real courage is not not being afraid, right? Real courage is seeing something that you're afraid of and stepping up to it because it's the right thing to do, right? And what we see in Jesus at this moment is a moment of courage. And he steps up and he says, whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Um, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Um, When Jesus said that to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. Um, This is an odd one. And I've read about 75 pages on the topic. Like, what do you mean fell to the ground? Um, The way it's phrased is funny. It's likely the case that they were like, whoa. They took a step back, right? Because these are guys who have been intimidated by Jesus up until this point, right? You ever meet somebody who, like, you can't even talk to them because they just intimidate the heck out of you? I mean, like, you... And, and this is like, the, these guys, when they talk to Jesus, he humiliated them every time. And they're expecting to show up, and his response is supposed to be, you know, hey, we're looking for Jesus. <laughs> Run away. Um, I mean, that's what he's supposed to do. But he steps and says, I'm he. And they were taken aback. Right? Like, oh my gosh, it's him. 
You know, he didn't back up. He didn't run. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. Has it ever thrown you off where you say something to somebody and they don't respond the way you expect it to and you sort of end up like, you know, you skip a beat? And that's like, that's roughly what happens here. They, they literally are, are, are taken aback and it sort of, it shocks them and they have no response, right? The other thing that's there is, I am he, and this is sort of tenuous, it's there, but it's, it's, you know, probably not everybody got it. I am he. He sort of invokes the name of God there. And the way it's phrased, it implies that he kind of takes the name of God on himself and like sticks his finger in the eye. And like, like, it's probably not the case that all of them caught that. But some of them, you know, were probably like, did he really just say that? Because he, you know, to refer yourself by God's name, I mean, they just kill you on the spot for that in that culture. I mean, they literally would take you out and beat you to death for it. I mean, it was a big deal. Um, so I am he. They fell back. They, they drew back and fell to the ground. So we asked them again, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fill the, fulfill the word that had been spoken of those whom you gave me. I have not lost, or I have lost not one. Now, so Jesus steps up. He says, listen, I'm he. And if you're after me, these guys have nothing to do with it. Right? I think they would have very happily just gone ahead and dealt with the whole crowd, right? And Jesus steps up and he pushes his guys back and he says, it's, it's me you're after. Now, mind you, um, it's easy to think of bravado, right? Like Peter earlier says, well, I would die for you. I would do anything. He's about to do something, right? It's easy to think of bravado. This isn't bravado. This is like, this is in, intensity that is aimed at a target. I'm going where I'm going, and ain't nothing stopping me. And I'm going to protect these guys on the way. This is a man who's passionate about what he's about to do, even though he doesn't want to do it. And the other thing that's happening here is he's passionate about his people, right? He loves his people. He's going to die for them, and he's protecting them from the judgment that's coming on him, right? So, nope, you don't want these guys. Um, That's huge, right? That's stay in the tent. I'm going to deal with this bear, Right? Only bigger. It's, you guys stand back, I got this. Um, and he told him, you can't go with me. Um, then Simon Peter, having not paid attention at all, and um, I don't know, I, I, having a sword. By the way, sword, he had a glorified dagger, right? It was a really big knife, um, like a crocodile dundee, right? You know, that's... It it's, was something that would have been common to carry around. It, it, anyway, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malachus. Um, Peter is not a gifted swordsman. I mean, I mean, seriously, he missed is really what happened. He caught the guy in the ear, right? Like, and he's got 200 guys there. What's about to happen if it keeps going? Like Peter's going to get chewed up, right? Like it, ain't, it ain't ending well for him. So he swings wildly, like I would probably if I was in a knife fight. Um, and, and, and he cuts off Malachus's ear. And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Um, we don't get this in John's Gospel, but Jesus literally picks up the ear and puts it back on, right? And actually what Peter does at this point is he runs away. Um, but 
Jesus' response, put the sword in its sheath, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Um, earlier we've seen in other Gospels where Peter has come along and said, oh, you won't die? You can't die? No, that can't happen. You can't die. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Stop tempting me. I'm going to do this. And that's what he does here. He says, listen, stop. This has to happen, right? Um, this is going to happen. And for all of Peter's bravado, it deflates instantly, right? You ever know anybody who talks big and the moment, the moment, the moment comes, all that talk becomes silence? Um, Peter in the moment tries and he can't. Um, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Now, part of what's probably happening is the Jewish folks are up front. And the soldiers are sort of following, trying to figure out what they're supposed to do. And then Peter cuts the guy's ear off and Jesus heals him. And the soldiers are like, well, enough of this silliness. And they step forward and arrest him, right? Like the professionals enter the scene. Um, and they, and they come up and they arrest him and, um, they, they bind him, meaning they tied him up. Um, and first they led him to Anas, um, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient for one man to die for their people. Now, um, the soldiers leave, and they take him to Anas. Anas is, um, was the high priest from like 1 to 15 or something like that, or 3 to 15, and he was rich, right? He was a, a politician's politician. He was high priest because he bought the office, Right? And then eventually the Romans got tired of him and they kicked him out. And so they're going to call him the high priest because he was still your high priest for life. There's only supposed to be one, but he stopped being high priest. And then his son-in-law was high priest. Um, and basically, like in the space of about 30 years, I think five of his family members were high priest. It's really corrupt, right? That's when you see politicians and every member of the family has been in the same office. You know, I came from Chicago where Daly was like, you know, and they... they I, in Chicago. Um, and so uh, um, the son, Caiaphas, had said it's good for one man to die for the people, right? And he predicted what would happen. Um, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. So these guys run off, and from a distance, they turn around and they start following. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. The disciple isn't named. He's probably John. Right, John was the son of a wealthy fish, fisherman, a merchant, and they had connections in the city, and they sort of knew the high priest maybe the way like, um, actually probably a great comparison, like John Tester is a senator, right? And he, he, he knows probably most of y'all, doesn't he? Um, you know, he, they, they knew each other because he was probably in the city on a regular basis. Um, and so John is able to just follow along, and John goes right into the courtyard with him. This is a big house, like a mansion, and we have a courtyard and maybe two or three other houses attached to it. Caiaphas' house is probably also attached. Peter shows up. Nobody knows him, right? He's a hillbilly. He's standing outside of the door in the dark waiting because no one knows him. Um, so John's in there. Um, the trial is taking place. Um, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Um, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you, all, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. 
Now, John, everybody knows he's one of Jesus' disciples, right? And the servant girl knows because she turns around and she's like, are you with this guy? Are you one of his followers too, right? So John's not backing down, right? But John ain't talking big. Um, Peter, when faced with a little girl <laughs> who had previously let Peter in, oh, I, I never met the guy. Remember, swung a sword a minute ago, right? Oh, I would die for you a minute ago. In the moment, it all evaporated, right? Um, it goes on. Now, the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, meaning because it was at night, and it's the desert, and it gets cold at night. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. So they're out in the courtyard, and there's a trial taking place in Caiaphas's, or excuse me, in Anas's living room. Now, if you ever get arrested, this is important. If you ever get arrested... And they take you to court, and court is in somebody's living room. There's something wrong. Got it? This is an illegal trial, and it is a brazenly illegal trial. Anybody who knew anything about Jewish law in the first century would know they are breaking the law. First off, he's supposed to be tried by, like, people who are actually officials, and Anas isn't an official. He got fired. His son is, but he's still running the show. So they bring him to a private person's house, and they have this trial, and they're asking about his disciples and his teachings. Now, the reason they're asking him about this is there's two pathways. The disciples, if they can prove that he's got a crowd big enough, they can convince Rome to execute him because he's a danger. Got it? His teachings, if they can prove that he's a false prophet... They can execute him because then, like, they have a law that says they can execute false prophets. They're looking for a reason to kill him. Um, the problem, though, is that they're questioning him. In the first century, it was illegal to question a person who was accused of a crime at their trial, right? You weren't allowed to ask him questions. Trials were only convicted by witnesses. And so they're not supposed to talk to him at all. But they bring him in and they start asking him questions, they're cheating, right? And the high priest questioned Jesus. I repeated that because it's important. Um, and Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I have said to, the, what I have said to them. They know what I said. So he says, listen, first off, you're talking to me and you're not supposed to, Right? He says, I have taught in, in the temple every day. You've watched me teach. I'm not saying things secretively. Now, when he says I've not said things secretively, it doesn't mean he's never had private conversations, right? Because that would be a silly thing to say. He's saying everything I've said in private, I've said in public. Go out and ask the people in the square what I've said. Now, why wouldn't they ask the people in the square? Well, because Jesus is really popular. And if they start calling people in, they're going to have a riot. And he basically says, you guys are afraid to have witnesses. You're afraid to have people stand up to me. Or, you know, you're afraid. Like, and he, he basically puts them out there. He says, this isn't a fair trial. And go ask them. Notice who he didn't bring up. He didn't bring up his disciples, right? And in fact, he says, talk to the people in the square, because everything I've said, I've said to them. He basically puts the disciples in the background. What's he doing? He's protecting them, right? Stand back. I got this. 
because his immediate instinct is to protect his people, to take care of his people. Um, and so he puts out, hey, you know, go ask them. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand. He slapped him is what the phrase is, open-handed on the palm, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, by the way, it is illegal in first century Jewish law, could never strike a defendant, ever, breaking the law, right? Um, Is that how you answer the high priest? Is that how you talk to this guy? He's important. And Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. Meaning, hey, be be a witness yourself and testify against me. Is he backing down? No, Jesus is a tough guy, right? They're like about to kill him. He was terrified, sweating blood. He's so stressed, so nervous, so afraid. And he's standing there. He says, listen, why don't you testify against me then? Someone testify against me. Can we pretend to have a fair trial? He's calling them out in the moment. And he's protecting his disciples. Um, But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And I sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest, which I think is one of the funniest lines in this account. It shouldn't be funny, but it is. He's like, man, I don't even know what to do with this guy. Send him to my son-in-law. <laughs> what a headache. Make him deal with it. I look forward to the day that I can stick bad jobs to my son-in-law as revenge for taking my daughter away. Now, Simon Peter was standing, warming himself. So they said to him, meaning the guys around him, You also are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, mind you, as like a family member of the guy he had attacked. So like Peter's bravado is now coming around and biting him on the backside, right? And what's funny about that is he's brave at that point. A guy who knows that Peter had acted brave. And what does he say? I know. Wasn't me. Um, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. Mark, um, John is funny. John makes Peter sound a lot better than he does in, in the other Gospels. Isn't that funny? John, like, really protects Peter in the text. If you read Mark, which is Peter dictating to John Mark, right? Like Peter telling his own story. Mark includes the fact that Peter swears at the guy. Like he curses him. <laughs> He's a sailor. You fill in the blank. Um, and blank is probably the right word. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, I'm so sorry if I offend you. I, I'm not trying. Um, Peter, Peter, not only, like five minutes ago, he's fighting mad, right? But in the moment, he can't stand up and take it. Can't, he can't face the heat of this. And he, and he curses the guy saying, you know what? I, I don't know that guy. Um, from this point, Jesus is taken to Pilate. And he's tried. Um, the cool thing about the way John wrote that, now watch this. We have Jesus protecting, right? Jesus standing up and protecting his people. Jesus, like, instinctively protecting. Jesus testifying in a way that stands up to the people who are the enemy, but protects his people. And Peter, when put in the same spot, is willing to act in bravado, act in the moment. But when the weight of it came down, what did he do? Crumbled, Right? Now, there's like three layers to this. There's, there's some cool stuff here. Watch this. Okay. Um, Jesus faces the worst 
He faces our, our sin. He faces our temptation. He faces our brokenness. He faces all of that stuff um, in order to protect us from it, right? And so as you struggle, as you stumble, as you look at things and you say, I cannot imagine overcoming this sin in my life. Has anybody ever said that? Like, this sin has been with me so long, I will never beat it. It is going to be with me until I die. I cannot imagine a life where this is not true. Um, Jesus faced it, and he took care of it. And so ultimately, as we back up and we say, what does the world look like once I'm over this, or once I beat this sin, or once I cope with this loss, or once I do these things, like, it's not about us beating it in the end, because Jesus has done it. Right, and anytime we face something that is a temptation, that is a that is a point of weakness or wickedness or whatever, um, Jesus is a high priest. Like he's this loving God who has seen it and felt it and experienced it and dealt with it. And so, in all of it, we can lean on him, right? And so, understand, like as Jesus is going to the cross, he's going to the cross to save us from our our limitedness, right? This God who's big and awesome and loving and just and holy loves us in our dirt, in our sin, in our filth. And he beats the garbage we can't beat. Because even if we say we can, right? Have you all ever heard anybody brag about how great they are at being holy? And then like they stumble later and... That always drives me nuts about TV evangelists who will do that and talk about other people's sins and then they get caught with sin of their own. Put it gently. Everything that we think we can take, Jesus takes for us. And the more we brag about it and the more we think we can do it without him, the more we're like Peter with his, with his little knife, his butter knife in the garden trying to, you know, fight an army he can't beat, right? And just trust that Jesus can beat it for us. And he doesn't beat it with might. He beats it with submission and love. It's time for Don's meds. Um, the next layer of this is for um, the men in the room. Okay? So men. Um, one of the things that we learn from Paul is that Jesus is the model of what it means to be a man. Right? That's in Ephesians. He says, you know, husbands. Um, he talks about husbands imitating Christ. Right? And loving the church the way Christ loved the church, that means sacrificing yourself. It means all of this. But it also means that you look at your family, and your first instinct is to serve God, and your second instinct is to take care of them, right? Even if it means you step into the bad places, you do it for your family. Because that's what imitating Christ is. And it's not just your family. It's the people God puts in your care, right? It's the people that God has put in your circle to take care of. Um, it's, I'm going to pick on Michael. Michael, last year, at the end of last year, left the school and he works at the activity center, right? Because you love the guys. That's acting like Jesus. It's stepping away from this higher paying job to do this. I'm sorry, Michael, I, I don't mean to do that to you. Um, to do this because he loves these guys. And he does. You should hear him talk about you. Um, it's loving the people in your care. It's loving the people that God has put around you, your children, your neighbors, the people like in your small group, the people who are spiritually immature in your life that God has said, you know what, you can walk this person into a better place, right? And so we take the role of Jesus and we stand in his spot for those folks. Like men, that's huge. Being a man isn't about 
bragging and swearing and driving a big truck and swinging swords at bad guys and everything else. Being a man is about taking care of the folks that God has put in your charge and loving them to the point of death, right? Not a big talk death, but a submitting to God the Father every day, putting to death your own desire and your own greed and your own weakness to be like Jesus, right? Um, he dies for our sins. We're called to die daily for the people that we're, we're to take care of. And for the whole church, as we grow to imitate Christ, we're to die for each other, right? We're to look at each other and say, I will help take care of you. There are people around us, there are people around us who struggle and who hurt and who have sin and who have, you know, depression or who, you know, nobody has nice things to say to or nobody visits or nobody talks to or nobody, you know, and the church is a place where we should be doing this for each other, right? We instinctively care for each other. This isn't the primary focus of this text, mind you. I'm drawing out a single principle that I think is worth noting, right? Take care of each other. Love each other like Jesus loved his disciples. Step into uncomfortable places to make it right. But ultimately, what Jesus does is he steps into the worst places. He steps into the cross. He steps into torment. He steps into death to save us from our sins. And that's the only way men can do that, right? It's the only way that men can sacrificially live for their families is because they become like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit enables us to become like Jesus, And it's the only way we can do it for each other. Not because we try hard, not because I'm nicer than the rest of you, not because I'm really not, believe me, (laughs) Um, but because we can become like Jesus. My challenge for you this week, as we go out of here, we're going to close with a prayer, and that'll be it, because I ran a little long. I'm sorry. Um, My challenge for you this week is to look at yourself, particularly, well, everyone, Look at yourself and first off say, what am I facing that Jesus needs to face for me? What sin am I struggling with? What have I not repented that I'm carrying? Because we carry sin, right? Clutch onto it like it's my little boy in that blanket of his. I just want this sin, God. Let me have it. What are we not letting him take care of? And then secondly, how can you imitate Jesus in loving your family? Loving him when you want to strangle him. Loving him when they don't deserve it. Loving them when they're not doing what you expect them to do. This was my whole evening last night, praying about this, that like God put this in front of me. Take care of the people around you because you're called to be like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today. Help us to be like you. Help us to serve you and submit to you and and be like you. Um, Thank you so much for sending your son to step in the way of, of death on our behalf. Um, And Lord God, even when we talk big, even when we brag about our goodness, help us to recognize that even the best of our goodness is nothing compared to yours. And that the best we do, the very, very best we do, is only when we come in harmony with your your son, um, when we imitate him, when we act like him. Help us to become Jesus to the people around us. In Christ's name, amen. Shake hands with folks on the way out. Hold on, I gotta...